if I can get anything I want into my back garden in five minutes, what is that? Welcome back. Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting. And you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. This is episode 201, and today's guest is Bobby Healy. Bobby is the founder and CEO of MANA. MANA is a crazy, incredibly cool, futuristic, but also present drone delivery company. Yes, this is super cool technology. Imagine being in your backyard and ordering a beer or a coffee or just some toiletries. And a few minutes later, a drone hovers over your backyard, lowers whatever you ordered into your yard, and uh, there you have it. Bobby and the MANA team are making this a reality, starting in Ireland and expanding from there. In this episode, we talk the MANA story, what it's like inventing new technology, conquering all the hurdles that come with a highly, highly regulated industry, making tweaks to the technology and offering based on customer feedback, and Bobby's business and entrepreneurship lessons from his incredible career even before MANA. It is the drone man himself, Bobby Healy. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Bobby Healy coming to us from Dublin, Ireland, the man behind Mana, a company that is uh you might sound it might sound like it's in the future or something out of Black Mirror or something, but uh, it it is in the present and expanding to more and more places. And uh, hopefully, before too long, it will be in the U.S. as well. Bobby, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing today? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing great, and it's it's not Black Mirror. That's a little bit scary. It's more uh, Jetsons, I think. I, I would mock <laughs> There, there we go. Yeah, the uh, I mean, Jetsons, Black Mirror. It's basically the yeah, same yeah. thing. Both you know, positive, positive Mirror, tone, <laughs> all happy endings, and yeah, yeah, it's a great combination. But super cool. So we're going to talk all things drone delivery. But uh, before that, so Bobby, you you yourself as a serial entrepreneur have just a tremendous background and so many different businesses and so many experiences that this could last, uh, uh, I, I think, as long as it takes for them to fully reboot the uh, Jetsons and virtual reality. So we, we won't take that long. But uh, I do want to cu- touch on a couple of businesses because it kind of ties to your your drone business now. And the first one is Elan Technologies, or Elan, which totally correct me if my pronunciation is wrong. On, on Elan. but. Uh, Elan. Yeah, so apparently, it's some dumb animal that lives in Argentinian mountains. I named the company after. Great idea. Though. Oh, yeah. I, I figured I, I have a pet, a pet one of those. No, <laughs> but uh, it's a, it was an airline technology company. Can you share us a little bit about yeah. what brought you into the airline space? Actually, the first my, my first company I founded was video games. I used to, I'm a programmer and I, I used to write games for Nintendo. So I built loads of, you know, huge. Well, hugely popular, but awful video games based on movies. Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, Schwarzenegger's Running Man. Those movies, I wrote the games and they were the worst games ever sold, but they sold really well. So actually, I started in video games and founded a company doing that when I was young. And then I founded Eland, which was travel technology. 
And I found that business in Mexico City, of all places. And that was, you know, look, it, they're a very successful business, as well as the last one. They bore your audience to tears, if I were to explain what it is. But suffice it to say that it solved a lot of deep down technology problems for airlines that wanted to talk to each other. So think United Airlines communicating with Lufthansa around bags and frequent flyer systems. I was the connector, the, the kind of connector to, to make that happen, which was a great business, but um, it's one, not one of the things that will be written on my tombstone and something that I'm proud of. Quite a boring business, but I ran it for 12 years and grew it like crazy and it was very successful. I sold it in 2003. I have to stop you on the Michael Jackson moonwalker for a second. Are you, uh, I, I'm assuming that uh, you're familiar with David Perry, who's been a guest on this podcast before. He uh, used to work in the video game space. Plenty of businesses of his own as well, but I, I, I know he got to visit Michael Jackson's house for that video game. So <laughs> quite the stories around there. Well, I've, it's funny, when I finished the game, I finished it in Ireland and, and we had to send it to Jackson's management, you know, for approval, like for final approval. And it was, a, it was a shoot 'em up game, right? You know, game where, there's, you know, Michael Jackson is the hero and he's running around and, and three lives and it'd end in you know, blood and tears and Michael Jackson would be lying dead on the ground, you know, after he got shot by the aliens. And that wasn't acceptable to management. So it was my first lesson in in brand that certain things can't happen, no matter whether they were technically cool or not. And I had to change the end of the game so that instead of being, you know, dead, uh, he would spin in a dance move and turn into pixie dusk and go up into the sky, which technically... <laughs> was really difficult to do and it was a bit of a crock as well you know because uh, it just wasn't the way video games were supposed to be written but funny yeah it was so much to learn and it's a hit space industry it's the kind of industry where it's either angry birds or it's not you know you could there's a thousand other games that look like angry birds that just didn't make it for whatever reason and angry birds did and and many other games like it it's a really incredibly high risk high reward industry not unlike drone delivery, actually. Why is it that Angry Birds, for example, made it? Like, what, what's the difference for a video game becoming a huge hit? Well, I mean, you could say exactly the same about music, about singles. You know, from one song to the next, the Beatles has a hit and then a flop. U2 has a hit and a flop. I mean, it just, the human brain is a funny thing. And the synapses and the understanding of how they relate to each other and what makes the dopamine come out or not come out, the excitement happen or not happen, or the resonance with a particular tune or melody or instrument in the case of music. No one understands what's great versus not great. And if you apply deep mind, you know, the biggest real processing computer we have, and you were to, to make it understand, okay, what's a great song and what's a, not a great song or what's a great video game, not a great, there is no answer. It's random chance. And then there's, of course, the viral effect where everyone else that hasn't seen it yet believes it's great because there's a cohort of people that believe it's great and they've broken through. Um, but it's, you know, I, I've written 15 probably video games in my life. They were all terrible, technically brilliant, but none of them were enjoyable to play. And it wasn't, because I didn't care about that. It's just just really, really difficult to say what makes a great game and what doesn't. And I was always fascinated, frustrated and fascinated by that in equal measures. And that's why I'd never, when I retire, I'll go back into video games because I won't care about the outcome. It'll be about learning and enjoyment. But it's highly unlikely that I'll ever write a decent video game. I see what you're saying before that uh, 
a line on your tombstone that says maker of terrible awful video games that no one liked to play well that, that one be, i'd uh, be proud ever. of you know? <laughs> that one i'd be proud of because it's better to, to die trying than not try at all it's the one i wouldn't have on my tombstone is built two highly successful enterprise SaaS businesses for travel technology giants that's something i'm almost ashamed of made lots of money very successful businesses uh, but what I'm proud of, that was 25 years running two different businesses. What I actually take away from that uh, source of pride is obviously the result was good, right? That, you know, personally, that's good. It's all the jobs I created. I must have created four or 5,000 jobs and created, you know, thousands of careers because of that project that we all worked on together. And that actually is a legacy that I am proud of. But, you know, very transient decade each one a decade of my life that i look back on and say geez i could have done something a lot better with that 10 years yeah i mean geez what have you done with your life it, it, you, yeah. i feel like you just kind of sit around all the time and don't do anything business crazy. <laughs> let's get to mana which you kind of alluded to before your deep entrenched background in the airline or aerospace industry mana is uh super cool Super cruel. That uh, not cruel. Super cool. I'm giving you some bad PR here. <laughs> Super cool uh, in the world of drone delivery. So I've I've seen these terms around, which are uh, both like completely new terms to me, but feel like made my head explode how cool they are. Drone delivery as a service, as well as uh, if you think about it in the you know potential for restaurants, drone to table or or delivery you know from the food sense. For for anybody who's not familiar, first of all, how did you? start zeroing in on the possibilities with the drone delivery? Well, well, first of all, it, the human, right? So I'm a, I'm a techie and I have a curious mind. I like to learn new technologies and I like to, I probably go further than most people do to, to learn and break things down. And so, so that's a key ingredient. And then, you know, three, I've, I founded this business just over three years ago. And at the time, I, like many others, had bought lots of consumer-grade drones and I'd flown them around and they're toys, good fun toys, and pretty quickly you get bored with them and you're thinking, and I'm thinking, how does this all work? And it's pretty cool how they develop battery technology, solid-state sensors, cameras, all these kind of a confluence of really smart space-age tech that's been commoditized down to affordable and reliable and functioning components. And you say, actually, a drone is full of deep tech that's now matured off the shelf. And so that parked that, right? So that's basically a drone. And then I live in Ireland and in Dublin, the capital city. And I live in a suburb four miles outside of the city center of 1.5 million people. So it's not a gigantic place. But my suburb, there's about 35,000 people in my suburb. And you can't get anything delivered. You can't get a pint of Guinness delivered. You can't get a coffee delivered. You can't get a bag of chips delivered. And bag of chips for an Irish person is, is like oxygen, right? And so I'm thinking I could actually strap a bag of chips onto a drone and fly it to the store. And that would work physically. And that was literally, that's a dumb kind of a simplistic explanation, but not far off the truth in that the tech was clearly a mule that could be applied to a particular mule's job, right? And replace the mule. And, and then I also looked from a business, wearing my business hat, I looked at last mile delivery, right? Delivering a hamburger to your home costs a delivery platform, the Uber Eats, the Deliveroo's, the, the DoorDashes and so on. It costs them a lot of money in labor and just general costs. In fact, it costs them between 6 and $9 US 
to move that hamburger from the store to your home, right? And that's what cost them. You, the consumer, ultimately have to pay a delivery fee, a surcharge, a tip, all these different things. And the restaurant has to pay a commission to delivery platform. So like everyone's paying, nobody's happy. The food's arriving cold. It takes forever. It's just a really difficult, it's just super difficult to use a human being to transport a low value product from A to B. It just doesn't really work that well. Now don't think Amazon guy in their truck with 200 parcels, that does work, right? You can optimize that because the guy goes out in the truck and delivers, you know, a full, you know, day's worth of deliveries and they're latent. They don't need to be quick. They need to be there within the hour, within the day or whatever. But a coffee needs to be there in two to three minutes or it starts to get cold. French fries need to be there in sub three minutes. And so a drone, our drones, our delivery time average is two minutes, 35 seconds. So when we load the coffee or, and by the way, yes, we deliver coffee. Nearly half of our orders are coffee. Uh, when we load that, it's in your front lawn or your back lawn within three minutes. And that means that actually now the equation works and people can be happy. So I, I tied all of that together and said, there's a core confluence of technologies that are now mature, which makes it viable to build an aircraft that has the requisite level of safety to do this, to be safely flying over people. And functionally, it can accomplish, you know, lightweight cargo, long range, high winds, rain, all that stuff. And then secondly, you have a gigantic $350 billion industry that is actually suffering can't afford to do delivery profitably, needs a solution to that. And, and I rock up and build this company. It's that simple. And the rest is history. I mean, you did it in one night in your sleep. It, it was a hell of a night. No, <laughs> but I, I like how you characterize kind of identifying the different pain points and, and the potential here. How did you get the ball rolling in figuring out what the actual drone and, and, and service would look like? Yeah, good question. I actually spent the first six months kind of refining the idea, you know, jotting down how would it all work? What would the customer experience look like? What's the product? What And then what kind of aircraft do you need to do that? So for example, questions like what range, what distance do I need to fly? How, what weight cargo, what volume cargo, how quick does it need to be? What's important? And then you get a bunch of parameters, right? That say, okay, well, look, the aircraft needs to carry roughly eight pounds of cargo and 30,000 cubic centimeters so to, to translate that. So volume is a big, difficult constraint, right? But it's much more difficult to support big volume. So think, you know, toilet roll, right? It's not very heavy, but it's big volume, right? And it's a commonly ordered thing where bananas are small and, and but dense. <laughs> so you, you look at what do people actually purchase? What do they need? And then you, and, and think, you know, uh, Big Mac and fries or think Happy Meals or whatever. And the average family, you know, 2.8 people, depending on where you are, 3.5 people, 3.5 Happy Meals with drinks weighs this much and this much volume and so on. So that all culminates in a spec for an aircraft. And then uh, then it becomes a technology problem, right? A kind of aeronautical engineering, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, software engineering, all of those disciplines together with a with a whiteboard to say okay is this possible and does it cost a million dollars to make this aircraft which means you don't have a business or does it cost five ten grand or whatever it is and that was a big technical question and so i knew what the aircraft needed to be able to do and then i said about hiring a team i didn't raise any 
investment capital at that point. I funded it myself. And I raised a small team of engineers to work together. And I, you know, wrote some of the software and I had a software team for my last business, found a bunch of aviation engineers, and, and we just built a proof of concept aircraft that that did what we needed, right? And it didn't look pretty, um, but it was quick. And in about three months' time, we had built a fully autonomous aircraft that could deliver uh, well a three and a half pound cargo over four or five mile range and it wasn't difficult now that's not a business right because you build something like that if you need to fly a million times a day you need a very particular type of device it's not we're not building washing machines here or we're not building hair dryers or computers they cannot fail because we're flying over populated areas so while we solved the functional physical question pretty quickly we knew that we knew that you could produce an aircraft that would do this job and do it for a very low cost unit cost we answered that question quite quickly then the other questions became will we ever be allowed to do this like this feels illegal for some reason you know and sure enough it is illegal to do it you're not allowed to fly drones just like that beyond visual line of sight you just it's just it is illegal in, in nearly every country in the world unless there's a war. And so I, I, I say, OK, right, there's not po- much point building something if you're never going to be allowed to sell it. And so I spoke to the European aviation regulators and particularly the Irish ones in our home market. And turns out that Europe has led the world in writing and putting into law regulations for drones that would allow commercial operators fly just like a cargo airline flies. And once I understood that, then I said, right, I have all the ingredients, the regulatory, the laws are there to permit this once you reach certain safety levels. The technology works. The customer wants this product like you cannot believe. I mean, this is such an exciting product and and such a high percentage of customers want drone delivery. They want delivery, period, right? But they want it to work well. And that is drone delivery. And so like just perfect storm of everything, all the stars lined up for. This is an exciting product to build. It's going to be fun. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be expensive. It's going to take a long time. It's a really difficult, hard path. But the, the result will be we're going to change the world. We are going to make lightning fast deliveries, green, safe, private, secure and fun. And we can remove the car from the road. We can stop producing CO2 for last mile deliveries. We can power local vendors and stores to reach 50 square miles of customers in three to five minutes for free. That is something that's going to create jobs. It's going to keep customers happy and it's going to expand existing marketplaces, delivery. It's just on all fronts, this is an exciting space. And so it was a no brainer for me to say, do I have a decade more in me to do something new? Yes, I do. And this is what I want to do. And the mic has been dropped. I can hear it from across the Atlantic. <laughs> but there's so many different aspects of this that are fascinating and, and intriguing to see like how things change over time and uh, technology helps things out. And for you, I mean, you mentioned that this is illegal still in so many different places. And so you have all the regulatory challenges, the legality challenges, and, and that I'm sure it changes by so many, in so many different markets. But you also have the challenge of consumer adoption in the sense that 
people now, you know, ever since delivery has been a thing, people have been used to pretty much the same type of delivery by car or, you know, large scale by plane for, for many, many years now. And especially with like Amazon, for example, our in prime and same day delivery are used to getting things quicker and quicker not quite as as quick as the few minutes that you're promising <laughs> but deli- having something delivered by drone and like dropped in their yard and in in record time that that's a completely new concept for consumers how how do you and team approach the whole consumer education and adoption piece that's surprisingly easy. We, we were very surprised. We're on our third town now. So we've served 46,000 customers. And the last town we served, which had 10,000 customers, we reached on a, so more than 1.6 times a month, we were delivering to 38% of the homes in the town. So we knew very quickly that the majority of people want to use the product. In fact, 98% of the people when you survey them want to use the product. Some of them, they don't get around to it, right? Various different reasons. They never get around to it. But I think they just never look up at the sky. That's probably what Well, it's not, it's not that there's a funny thing, right? There, there, there's a procrastination when it comes to new technology where people, it's not that they're lazy, just that they wait for the avalanche to have passed before they start skiing, if that makes any sense. And this is just natural, right, with any technology. But the adoption curve that we see is greater than than any product I've ever seen. So 38% of the population using the product within six months is unprecedented for any type of product. This is like the circus just came to town, gave away free tickets before the internet and before TV screens were invented. This is everyone wants this. And awareness, when I when I tweet the name of the new town we're going to, I say, I tweet, hey, guys, it's Balbriggan next. Instantly, we have, on the day I did that, we got 4,500 app downloads in Balbriggan, you know, instantly. Uh, so it's a viral product that, that very quickly gets awareness, let's say. And then people say, then they have to get their heads wrapped around and say, hold on a second. Uh, drone delivery what what do i need to do here I, I feel like i need a landing pad on my house i feel like this isn't for me i feel like this is not every day and i don't want the circus landing in my garden i don't want you know so they're afraid because they don't know how it all works so what happens is an early adopter will be on every street and we'll sometimes see them we'll say you know hey would you like a free coffee open the app free coffee for you and then the drone flies and it just does the job. It just it arrives over their house at about 150 feet. It does a quick scan with a LIDAR to make sure there's a flat area there we can deliver to. Then we descend to about 60 feet. The doors open and we lower the product down to the ground on a winch system. And we can do fresh eggs, coffee, Guinness, you name it. It's a gentle uh, delivery. And like magic, three minutes after we prepare the product and sent it out it's in their back garden everyone on the street is out to film and observe the first drone delivery on the street and then generally what happens next is every child on the street goes to their parents and they say i want drone delivery and they get jelly snakes they get chocolate they get all sorts of junk uh, but the next delivery for every house is coffee and that's the adult saying i'm going to try it out and i'm going to use coffee because i wouldn't mind a coffee and then the high frequency stuff happens where, and what I mean by that is we, we have, you know, standard customers are 20, 30, 40 times they've used us already in this town. 
And those customers don't call it drone delivery. They call it delivery. They don't even come out of their houses anymore to witness it. They don't film it. They're not interested. They're just using it because it delivers. And a few weeks ago, uh, I had John Collison. John Collison is the founder of Stripe, a big tech success company. And John was on the roof. You know, he was coming to check out the drones. He's an investor in the business. As we're watching the aircraft flying backwards and forwards, doing lots of deliveries, some guy orders an onion, one onion. Now, an onion costs 40 cents and the delivery costs $5. Now, the onion tells the story because in what world would you order one onion for delivery? It only works where you can rely that at the moment you order that, it's going to be in your hands in five to six minutes. And that's what happened. And that means the guy was probably frying a steak or something, 6 p.m., realized he didn't have an onion, wanted an onion. And it's just absolutely normal for that person to order an onion by air delivery. And I know how crazy that sounds to your listeners. And your listeners are all now raising an eyebrow, but that's what life is like in Ireland today. People are just every day using drone delivery to get everyday goods. I... Love the onion story. I mean, who doesn't love a good onion story? Yeah, can't beat an onion. I, I think even more than that, you mentioned Guinness. Beer from the sky might be the coolest thing I've ever heard. I, I think that's probably some of the tastiest beer in the world when it's <laughs> descended from the heavens. So it is. Like the funny story about beer from the sky is it's a little gray area on the regulation. So we just did a trial for it just to see, you know, to kind of prove a point. And it, it worked beautifully. I mean, we couldn't. We didn't have enough aircraft to support the man. The town went absolutely nuts. And really, all they were ordering was Guinness. Uh, now, why that's interesting, two reasons. If anyone knows Guinness, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those drinks that only exists in Ireland, really, in real life. Um, just like giraffes don't exist outside of Africa. Oh, I thought you were going to say the, uh, the Irish giraffes. I'm like, there, there's a Yeah, whole... there's lots. Of, I have a few in my garden, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but but Guinness famously has to be poured first and then let settle and then topped up, right? But in our case, you pour it, you put it on the aircraft and it settles while it's flying. So that three minutes That's flight so cool. is your settlement time for the Guinness. <laughs> if you can if you can get the drones to start doing like the drip of the uh the shamrock shape while they're yeah, flying, yeah. that's that, that would wonderful. be a good tweak. Or flying kegs. But like it was just kind of, we, we want to test out, like we want to test out every type of product to see, look, what do people really want? Because there's a lot of misconceptions or assumptions about what drone delivery is going to be to communities and to families and to citizens and so on. And a lot of people straight away go to, oh, it's going to be vaccines and it's going to be uh, pharmacy and critical things. And it is going to be all of those. It is, of course. But actually drone delivery is going to be an infrastructure that every community in the world is going to get as an infrastructure, and they can do whatever they want with it. So what you're going to see is local vegetable guy, the local bookshop, local vendor of whatever, including mom and pop living at home baking cakes. They can now have an online cake shop. They can sell those cakes, and they have logistics to get them to 50 square miles of customers. So you're going to see this infrastructure being embraced by communities and they'll figure out what to do. It's like when you gave the cavemen fire or you gave them paint or whatever, you know, that's a tool. And we're building an infrastructure for the world to move things around efficiently with robots. And I don't know the end state of what will be delivered, but I can tell you right now, it's the most boring things imaginable. It's a cappuccino with a pastry 
it's jelly snakes, it's an onion, it's pint of Guinness, it's everything. We're delivering, well, right now we deliver over four and a half thousand different products and we can't add enough choice. We can't keep up with them. Someone today ordered printer cartridges. Yesterday, we had, for some reason, a lot of books delivered. You know, people want everything delivered to their house. And, you know, the green aspect of that, the amount of CO2 we're going to remove from the atmosphere by not forcing them to get into their cars, to drive, to get those things, it's going to be great. So we tick all the boxes. What have you learned from these first few towns? Like you mentioned kind of the positive feedback and like the different items that people are trying. And, and you, you know, next thing you know, their skin is flying through the air all around. But uh, what about on the on the more critiquing side? What, what have you learned from people that, oh, we, you know, here's some things we can already start working on improving? The fear, the fear and uncertainty is more than we thought it would be. So we, we see people like in our last town, we operated our last town for over a year. And there were still people at the end of that year trial that had never used the service. And we asked them why, you know, a small town is only 3,000 homes in, oh no, just over 3,000 homes in the town. And we, you know, we spoke to them. We said, you know, you, you registered for the service. You gave us your address, gave us your credit card, everything. You never used it. And a lot of them came back saying I was afraid to. And that was interesting. So we need to do better at that. And then the other, the other thing we found is that, you know, it's early days, right? But people were driving from outside the town, like quite a distance to come into the town to try out drone delivery. And what they were doing was they were ordering a drone delivery for somebody else's house. Then they were jumping over the wall to get the product and to consume it because they wanted to experience the product. So I suppose we should have expected that, but we didn't. And so we had kind of, you know, geo-locked certain things so people couldn't order if they didn't live Uh, where they were ordering to and then the other thing we discovered because we do this with surveys um so so when you after we deliver the product we pop up a survey and we say you know what did you think and you know did you like it and our mps by the way for those that know what mps is it's between 80 and 90 which is better than even apple have for an mps this is a product that people absolutely love and but that we asked them what else would you like and we were expecting some killer categories to come out there we were expecting you know things that we didn't expect would be super popular and we were expecting pizza to come out and you know the usual delivery things but but actually there's such a crazy spread of products so so the i think the biggest surprise and it's not a great surprise because we were hoping for you know 50 100 different critical things that everyone wanted we were surprised that we've, we've over eight or nine thousand different things that people have asked us to deliver that we don't deliver that's one thing good good and bad about that and then pharmacy that everyone, literally, if you ask anyone, they're going to say, oh, pharmacy, that's the use case for drones. Everyone wants, you know, Walgreens or, or whatever it is, right? Pharmacy. It isn't. Less than one-tenth of a percent of people that we survey say pharmacy is what they want delivered. Most of them say coffee, long list of different groceries, lots of different things, right? But it's a big spread. And we were surprised at that. And good and bad. There's good and bad about that because it's actually hard to support a lot of choice. But at the same time, it's good that people are, are actually thinking about it. And they're saying, okay, if I can get anything I want into my back garden in five minutes, what is that? And so hardware store, bookstore, you know, you name it, they're asking for it. So we've learned that actually in order to do this right, we're not just going to have to build an airline. We're not just going to have to build an aircraft manufacturer and an airport. We're also going to have to build a pretty powerful retail system that has choice that people need. 
Yeah, that's a, it sounds pretty simple just to build an airport and airline, <laughs> a delivery system all in one. I think you got it. <laughs> in addition to what people are already ordering, what, what potential possibility uh, with this drone delivery software are you most excited about? Just thinking kind of real long term about it. Um, I, and I do think about that. I wonder what it'll look like in 10 years and whether or not we're the winner or whether we're not the winner. I can promise everybody that drone delivery is going to be a real reality for you all within 10 years. And certainly within five years, most big suburbs will have it. Europe will be first. USA will be second because of the regulatory timeline. Um, but it's going to happen. And what I wonder about is, well, obviously, I wonder if, if it's going to be MANA or somebody else or some mix of of that. And I'd, I'd like to think it's us and we're doing very well. So I, I think it could well be us. But I, I think about how does a suburb, how does a big suburb, because we only operate in suburbs, never in big cities. What does that, how does that change the fabric of a suburb where usually there's strip malls and everyone gets in their car and drives out to get everything they need or they or they ordered from Amazon and get it the day after, whatever. What does it become in 10 years when it is literally as ubiquitous and reliable as picking up the phone to make a call? You can order a drone to pick up a product and move it to a different customer. And our new aircraft actually flies from the hive out to the vendor, picks up the product, and then flies to the customer. What does that world look like? I think it's going to be a beautiful world where all of the constraints in retailing, the democratization of retailing and selling and consuming, the, you know, all it's a great leveler if you don't need expensive real estate to have a retail store. You don't need scale to win. You just have logistics doing the job for you. It means that the local bookshop that we power can beat Amazon selling books. And I think that's exciting. And I wonder if you extrapolate from there what the world looks like. I think it's going to be much better. I think, you know, it's going to be much, a much better leveler. I think it's going to work against the big tech giants and it's going to work well. It's going to make suburban living easier. It's going to equalize suburban benefits with living in very dense urban locations. But I don't know. I hope that's the case. But I certainly think we have the right tool to make that happen. It really does feel like something out of a, a Star Wars movie or any sort of futuristic movie that shows like a futuristic mega city and you got everything, all these different levels of people and cars and vehicles flying through the air. And, uh, and now you're going to have drones delivering stuff through the air too. It, it's a really beautiful and wonderful and, and futuristic and just crazy tech savvy image. How do you ensure that it doesn't get like so crazy popular to the point that there's just like an overwhelming amount of drones in the air at all times and and uh and you start getting noise complaints and uh you know uh, it's hitting kites and yeah. things like that yeah we we get asked that all the time that's a common question for people that are you know not overly positive on drones and just for, for numbers so the, the folks know the surveys we've done and both we've done EASA, the European regulator, and actually Virginia Tech did a survey as well with Google, with their drone delivery program. You get to about but somewhere between 80 and 90% of the population want drone delivery and they say they're willing to pay for it. And then there's some percentage of people that are neutral. They couldn't care less. But they don't plan to use it themselves, but they don't, you know, they're not against it. And then there's a small single digit percentage that are against it. And, and most of the reason they're against it, so the, their top reasons that they're against it 
they'll say are noise. Uh, that's number one. Privacy, number two. And sometimes they, they flip between noise and privacy. Safety is kind of lower down in the list. And then, funnily enough, job loss. They say, I don't like robots taking jobs away. And they feel it's all big tech and more tech and robots taking jobs away. So those are the the concerns. And we know that noise is not an issue. We, we've been flying for over two years, 46,000 customers, 15 complaints, 15, right? That is a phenomenally low complaint level. And it's, the reason is we don't make any noise. You, you really can hardly hear us when we're flying. You really have to be struggling. And even an electric car makes more noise than we make. So noise isn't an issue. Privacy is not an issue because we don't have any customer data. We don't record anything. No cameras recording, no sound, nothing, right? So even though people assume that a drone has a camera because consumer grade drones do we don't and we never will and you'd be crazy to be a commercial operator invading people's privacy on the job create so safety is a synchro no right so the regulator won't let us fly unless we're safe we have to be as safe if not safer than that boeing or big airbus or whatever flying over you know populations and we are um so safety is a non non-concern once we get it right. And then finally, job creation is, is the, probably the most valid point of concern that people have. And again, we're democratizing delivery. We're allowing the small guy in the suburb to compete with Amazon. And that's a good thing for jobs. And then to your point about, is the air going to be full of, and there's a great episode, you'll see it on YouTube, Paw Patrol did a drone delivery episode and there's drones flying over everywhere and they're banging into each other and it's raining drones. No, that's not the way it's going to be. And and the proof of that is we're supporting a population of 35,000 people today with four drones. Those drones, each of them will do about 70 to 80 deliveries per day. And that keeps that town happy. Now, we'll increase it. It'll go more. It'll probably go to, say, six drones. But that's six drones for 35,000 people, 10,000 homes. It's not a lot. And the drones fly so high. They're so quiet. They're big, but they're not that big when they're, you know, 150 feet in the air. It really isn't obtrusive. In fact, most of the time when I go to the town we're operating in, it's hard to find them when I look. I have to look at my app where I can track them to see where they actually are. I always knew when you started this thing that you'd be going head to head with Paw Patrol uh, in a serious <laughs> yeah. dogfight. When Paw Patrol is your enemy, you're, you're a sick puppy. <laughs> Words to live by. If you're listening to this podcast episode and you're thinking, Holy shit, this is really, really cool. Not just the drone technology, which, I mean, speaks for itself, but also this whole podcasting thing. And you're thinking, man, I'm going to want to try that, or I want to add that as uh, as part of my business repertoire. There's a couple things you can do. First of all, you can hit me up directly at maximaxpodcasting.com to help you save time with your high-quality podcast, bring it to life. And two, you can visit maxpodcasting.com, scroll down on that homepage, and sign up for my newsletter, Podcasting to the Max. You will receive podcasting tips. You will receive behind the scenes from the Wild Business Growth Podcast, a healthy assortment of puns as well. All is at maxpodcasting.com. Now, let's get to more Bobby, because uh, more Bobby is good for you and good for the drones. Let's wrap it up with some rapid-fire Q&A. You ready for it? Go for it. All right, let's get wild. As if this conversation hasn't been wild enough. What is the funniest thing you've ever seen a drone do? Oh, 
deliver a pharmaceutical item that is usually only used late at night, and I can't say what it is. Okay, we'll save that for for, for the special uh, extra explicit episode. All right, what is a quirk you have, just an aspect of your personality that has no impact on your businesses whatsoever, but uh, maybe your friends, family, somebody calls you out for it? Oh, I know this. 50% of people hate me, and the other 50% are neutral on me. And if you did a survey after this podcast, probably 50% of people want to punch me in the face because of my voice. And then the others all like me, I think. That's pretty much consistent. I call that a quirk. And it's because of my face, but luckily this is audio. <laughs> hey, you have, a, you have a beautiful voice as well. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a voice model and a model. <laughs> what is your favorite video game to play of all time? Oh, great question. Uh, it's a very old one. It was called Gorf, uh, G-O-R-F. And the reason it was my favorite because it had a combination of Space Invaders, Galaxians, asteroids and one other game all combined it felt like you were getting you know four for the price of one and that was it and then later on when i became you know old like 30 uh the the 3d shoot 'em up so quake duke nukem those kind of games and flight simulators all day long now i don't i don't play games now actually i play wordle now because that's because i'm really old yeah no i i think everybody in their mom and their kids and their uh, great step aunt are playing Wordle and Quirtle now as well. So watch out. <laughs> and then besides the Guinness storehouse slash poorhouse, I would never remember which one it is. Uh, what is the top thing besides that that you recommend tourists do if they're visiting Dublin? Oh, if they're visiting Dublin, the top thing other than the Guinness storehouse, which is an excellent, excellent. Come out and visit me. I live in Rat Farm. You're all invited. A cup of tea or a drink. We're a very warm bunch of people, the Irish. We love visitors. We love meeting and we love trying to sell Ireland. And we, we, every one of us, even Bono, is selling Ireland. And I, what I would do is I would encourage any of you that are visiting Ireland to just meet the Irish. We like a bit of fun. We're very uh, mostly extroverted and we love foreigners coming to sample everything we have. We're not a, we're not a rich nation by any means. We're not you know, very cosmopolitan. The food is awful, but you are going to have the best time of your life traveling around Ireland, meeting people in pubs, restaurants, whatever. I, I honestly, and this isn't me being biased, it's the best country in the world after the United States, maybe. I was fortunate to study abroad for a semester in college in London. And when my parents visited for a couple of weeks, one of those weekends we went to Dublin and then, you know, did like a paddy wagon tour all around, yeah, to, yeah. Uh, you know, the Cliffs of Moher, everything. And oh, of course. But uh, we, we just had the best time. And I think that's the biggest thing that we took away as well is like, these are the friendliest people in the world. Like we, we had so many amazing conversations and everybody was so friendly and welcoming and uh, a lot of dry humor and corny jokes, which is all I'm all about. That's but it. we, That's it. In particular, we had a, a, a cab driver who my dad liked so much that he literally requested this guy for like the rest of the weekend because it was just the best conversation we've had. <laughs> so so I, I'm with you there. And then last one, and this, by the way, I, I love Guinness, so I'm not putting Guinness around. I'm just making these questions tougher for you. What, what's the best beer you can get in Dublin besides Guinness? Oh, besides Guinness. Uh, my own personal preference is Peroni, which is an Italian lager. I love the Peroni. Uh, and then there's loads of all, all the cool kids are drinking IPAs now. I hate them. Posh beer. I'd be a Guinness man through and through. 
and then maybe a bit of whiskey to calm me down uh, or even tequila. But in terms of beers, Guinness is it. There's a good reason Guinness is the monopoly beer in Ireland. There's a very good reason because it's a meal on its own. And it just feels like you're, you know, healthy when you're drinking Guinness. Probably not, though. Um, but within reason. Well, Bobby, this has been almost fantastic. I think we were going to make it through the entire way without me wanting to punch you through the screen until good, you called good, IPA good. posh beer. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was a very neutral interview. No, this is this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for for sharing very your well. story and tips and jokes and uh, and onion deliveries. But uh, really, really excited about all that you and team are doing, and, and can't wait till uh, one one day we get it here and uh, in the U.S. So, really, really. The future is is very bright. So, thanks, Max. I, I appreciate it. I enjoyed the chat. Of course, of course. Back at you. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, where is the the best place for people to learn more about Mana and uh, and see what's to come? Uh, you can go to Mana Aero That's our website. See some cool videos there, or follow me on Twitter is even more fun. Real Bobby Healy, because uh, I post all the latest updates, the videos, the all the fun stuff on Twitter. The website's a bit corporate, but you can learn about what we do there. Perfect. Well, I, I think a corporate website can be corporate. That's okay. <laughs> and then last thing, final thoughts. Stage is yours. It could be a quote. Uh, it could be uh, you know you could sing if you want. Whatever you want. Send us home here. Uh, a little message i would like to say just thanks everyone for listening i do appreciate everyone's time it's a mad subject this was a long pod i do appreciate it follow us on on linkedin and please if you would support ukraine thank you bobby 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 thank you so much for coming on the podcast for all you do for sharing your wisdom your advice your crazy cool technology and thank you, Wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite app and tell a friend about the podcast. And then uh, go check out the Mana drone technology because it's, oh, man, Mana. You can also find us on Good Pods where there are fantastic podcast recommendations. And for any help with podcast production, you can learn more at maxpodcasting.com and scroll down and sign up for the Podcasting to the Max newsletter. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! <laughs>